Welcome to episode five of the New Models Podcast, and we are lucky enough to be joined by some really special guests this time. We have Michelle Look, Marty Kaliel, Matt Dryhurst, and of course, I'm Lil Internet, New Models co-founder Carly Busta, and artist Dan Keller. This episode, we'll be talking about subculture, value, and real estate in the age of crypto raves. Brace yourself. Welcome to the New Models Podcast. We have a very special set of guests today. I think we'll, for once, let everyone introduce <laughs> themselves first. Hi, I'm Michelle Luke. Um, I am a music and weed journalist based in L.A. I'm Marti Kalela. I'm the other member of the music group Amnesia Scanner, and I'm the co-founder, together with Emily Siegel, of the think tank and consultancy Nemesis. Uh, Matt Dryhurst and I don't have that. <laughs> I work on a ton of stuff here in Berlin. I think the the core uh, idea that kind of started this off, especially, but also, I mean, Michelle is kind of the node that got this all into uh, action. But it was crypto raves. Yeah, basically, I just got here and ha- started talking to both of Marty and Matt about. Um, crypto raves because they were quoted in a Wired article about it. But basically, it's a troll. <laughs> That's what I realized. <laughs> hey, yeah, can we get some backstory? Well, I would credit like Matt Liston as like the first person I heard use the term. It might have been like Matt, like Matt, the other Matt, like sitting. This like, is debatable. <laughs> sitting next to me might be the. It was like definitely the, a Matt. Could we just get a working definition of how a crypto rave operates and what it is, and for maybe someone who hasn't read it, like it's just, you know, you get a lot of ideas. But, I, I, well, I, I, here's you know, the, where the yeah. troll comes in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've never been to one. <laughs> yeah. Who's been well, to one? I have. I mean, the, uh, there's been one example, for example, that happened here in Berlin, where there's two art groups, Medium Group of Bitnik, which is a, an art couple from Switzerland, and OMSK Social Club, who I've never met, but I believe she's a woman from England who lives here in Berlin, too put together like a crypto rave that was also somehow a LARP. And so the idea was that you would mine your tickets. So you do some work on your computer to get access to the location. And then the number of hours that you mined was congruent with the amount of benefits that you got, right? So if you mined for like... Rave benefits? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, God. I left convinced of the idea of airdropping people alternative identities for nightlife had legs to it. Mm. That that aspect I could see having legs and that and that I wouldn't have known that necessarily from how does that have legs? Yeah, what's an alternative what identity? About, yeah, right? can you <laughs> sure, well, and what the event was like? Can you also give us a picture of that? Yeah. Well it was weird for me because I was given the identity of like a crypto evangelist and I was like, this is kinda like I think it was really tailored. I think like the idea of having like for example scripts or scripted occasions in which people can go and like enact something um, with there being a, a, a protocol that, that disseminates you know like activities that people can do the fact that you could do that in a space through these tech this tech is isn't this just like Dungeons and Dragons yeah like mixed reality LARPs have you know definitely existed yeah. since a long or time or drag I mean like yeah or drag I mean but this idea as like a form of rave security I think is really interesting like the idea that you don't have to be yourself nobody knows who you are you're sort of undercover yeah. larping is like a defense mechanism is cool. yeah to a degree and uh, yeah i think like this like <clears throat> there's like the possibility you have like like curate a list of like trusted participants you know, like it like of a scene i think like this is like the Where, gen- why the gen- is a blockchain necessary yeah, no, in any of this yeah no no no, well, even no closely. well i i was I was invited to this like talk or like panel about this specific topic in Dubai like earlier this year <laughs> <laughs> with, with, 
with Hans August and Ben and Ben Vickers again. Uh, I hope you don't get the uh, drug dealer LARP at the crypto rave. <laughs> 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 I just like I don't know, like when I was just just being like like close to environments where like there are like actual like groups that might be like per, like persecuted for like a number of reasons. Just doing that for like a rave scene, like in like Western European context, just felt like extremely like trivial, and that's like that, that definitely to me doesn't appear as like the most interesting or like important use case to me it seems more like though as as opposed to this just like putting um calling a phone number and getting a flyer that has a secret address on it like 90s rave hotlines like just putting that on the blockchain seems like it's trying to i guess maybe people are experimenting with it emerging as its own sort of format and subcultural type of event as opposed to just taking like illegal raves and securing them on the blockchain in some way yeah, I'll say, I mean, the thing is, to your point of do you need a blockchain, like, for most shit, period. I concede that in a sense. I mean, the thing is, the reality is that, like, Wired and a lot of these cultural publications need blockchain in there to take any of these ideas seriously, right? There's plenty and plenty of really cool competing ideas out there, um, but you're, I take your point. The second point to, like, what Marty was saying, I mean, I've been doing a lot of work on this, actually, is, like, fundamentally, you know, when it comes to subcultures, um, I've kind of come to the conclusion recently that, like, the subcultures that endure, endure, at least in a musical context, are the ones that own space, right? So, like, a classic example being, I mean, this was, like, a couple of years ago, but you know the Kopi here, like, the old squat? It's near Etonal, it's near Trezor, right? And I was at the Kopi, and, like, there was, you know, a bunch of kids there pretending they lived in, like, 1987 and, like, looking like they played in Napalm Death. And then Etonal was happening at the same time, and we walked over the street, and there's all these kids pretending they live in, like, 1994, going to Trezor, you know? <laughs> and you're like... It's basically the landowners that get to continually subject the youth to what they think the subculture should be. <laughs> That's you know what I mean? And so, and you're in the scenario now where like they're like youth subcultures basically have the the, the luxury of, of near infinite space, which is online space, right? Uh, but very few have the ability to take purchase and kind of seed themselves into something tangible or kind of sustainable. Um, and so thinking about like autonomous clubs and all this, that, another is a really, really useful kind of fictional device to basically be like, no, actually some like tokenized assets, for example, this new wave of basically seeing non-institutionally accredited investors being able to invest in stuff yeah. um, that has some uh, some semblance of material value, that's fucking interesting when you start talking about clubs or ownerships or subcultures manifesting themselves into real space, right? You know why the term crypto rave, like, stuck is like it sounds cool yep. like crypto and rave that were like, like cool words it reminds me of like uh, in the early in like the mid knots like all these like project spaces they're called like magic crystal or yeah, forest yeah, yeah. land or whatever yeah but yeah well, I also just think that rave culture in general is looking for like new ways of hiding um, because we've sort of been under attack through a number of different ways. Like I, I think in the U.S., like the Go Ship Fire actually caused a lot of spaces to get targeted by like far right groups um, as well as police. And I've been seeing like really interesting like new strategies that people are coming up with to move off social media, to move off sort of, you know, centralized spaces um, and go underground again. I mean, just like a really simple model is if people kind of uh, buy into token, like, I don't know, invest and start in a tokenized sort of ownership of a party or space. And then at some point they could sit and, you know, the more people buy in, the more valuable the tokens are. Maybe there's a limit and then someone could sell their token later. Someone else could buy it. A token is a, the ability to go and bring someone, for instance. That actually exists in accredited investor circles. So you guys know what an REIT is? Okay. Real Estate Investment Trust. Yeah, for example, there's a company here in Berlin called Brick Block that's looking on, you know, taking REITs on the blockchain, obviously not dealing, having to deal with accredited investors. So there's another side to this too, which is basically like modernizing subcultures to understand what's coming. I actually did want to speak to Michelle's point. I don't know if that's worthwhile, but I, I feel you about the ghost ship farming. Mean, and actually the Facebook, the like, how the fuck do we get off Facebook events event was done immediately in the aftermath of that because of looking at that case study of being like, you know, ghost ship for me was kind of a, a fundamental reason why these kind of things should not happen on Facebook. You know, we had reports coming back of, uh, you know, parents who quite understandably were sticking their phone numbers on the Facebook event page, having their phone numbers circulating through 4chan with people calling them to be like, hey, we found your daughter. I also think blockchain has a really interesting way to maybe build community. Like, I love the idea of, let's say if you go to a rave, like, 
10 or 20 times that you then own the mm. rave. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, pretty literally, like, the crypto space is just sort of a LARP and social and multiplaying game. I mean, there's such... There's so few users of... Like, I mean, I think there's something like 16 coins that have more than 400 daily users. It's a very <laughs> tiny, <laughs> tiny little club. So, yeah, I mean, it's it mirrors... It is basically already a crypto rave. Yeah, Paris. yeah. And I mean, if you think of like the kind of subcultural like dimension of this, it's... <clears throat> Yeah, the kind of adoption level of like these technologies and the kind of like, literacy that's like necessary for you know to be able to even to like use these things like use these things because the UX is like you know it's like terrible and like slow and so forth. Uh, it's kind of hard to deploy you know like deploy any of these technologies in a way that wouldn't filter for like a, like a predominantly male, extremely like, extremely male like like yeah. and, like like technically like like literate audience and that's you know like from the point of view of like club culture. Uh, that's you know that's just like you know that's just like a Venn diagram that isn't like ideal. Well, I mean, I think good, but the good UX or GUI could fix that, right? I mean, that's not that's not an insurmountable problem to me. I think it's just somebody needs to. I mean, crypto still needs a killer app, like period. They aside from buying drugs, like no, but I, I'm just like thinking like it's like this stuff isn't around. Like from my perspective, I don't feel like this stuff is just around the corner. I mean, like I feel yeah, like, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm also just thinking. I mean, we're in such an intensely tribal time, and just even the concept of safe spaces and things like this. I mean, do you think crypto could kind of be applied to having sort of a pseudo-autonomous, like, micro-government-run co-ops, communities? I mean, one example that's kind of scary that seems to be actually the, the one that I've... that to me seems the most developed is Orania in uh, South Africa, which is a, like, like, only Afrikaner town no blacks allowed at all own currency i think they launched their own cryptocurrency they kind of have their own police i mean you also see this on the other side i mean like the hasidic community in brooklyn too is like notorious kind of for being wary of the police and they have their own police right and they have their own very insular community like uh, enforcement and in, that they've developed it's basically a gated community i think like i mean more well, or less in, that exists in, in brooklyn it's not a gated community well, it it's is. like they a, have that, a superstructure uh, they have that magic fence that they do that makes it so technically everything is inside so they can walk around during sabbath they have really? a whole, they have a wire that's around the whole neighborhood then so technically oh. a lot of hasidic laws are sort of like trying to like cheat god through like, technicalities elevator yeah sure it's basically has a wall it's an invisible wall it's more or less and i mean they own that they own that land so thoroughly that it's more or less mm. the same as as a gated community mm. i mean sure of course technology is in general increasing those types of divisions and will continue to um that's clear no i i didn't say i mean orania obviously i think is kind of the yeah. scary uh, example of what of what where this this sort of tribalism could and this sort of i mean even on both ends you see this kind of call for segregation and and insulation um in in groups even you know I, I don't know college safe spaces or things like that which is boring but still you could imagine even on the left people uh kind of being interested in their own protected secure isolated community well i think it's really important who the gatekeepers are yeah i think we're definitely going to see like or like I agree with you. Like this, like tri like tribal like tendency is definitely like not gonna go anywhere and like anytime soon. And like these like distributed like housing schemes like for like. I was thinking like we live. Yeah, we like, we live, really or like or like Rome, which is like another one like a millennial like like digital nomad like or like oriented like uh, like distributed like housing solution. I think like we're gonna see like more definitely gonna see like more and more of that. But like. It's going to be like definitely like much more like gra like granular. So like if you're saying like like like, ci like cities will become these like yeah like extremely like like high like kind of high resolution like patchwork and of course th this is something that Benjamin Bratton has been like talking about a lot, which I think is like a real like threat like that comes with like AR like already like now like my like if you know just this is like a kind of a mundane example but I, you know like look at google maps like i see like a different map than like other people see like but if yeah. when you have like when like a when, yeah when like ar like truly kicks in like like we like like literally live in like different cities like, i know i'm thinking of china me like city and the city like you know this that yeah i mean that's like a that's that's like a kind of like a like a poetic like a, i'm not not even this like a poetic that's like maybe like a, like a literal like description of like this kind of 
experience of like reality like of the city like that we might might have i mean if i'm gonna just just some speculation here i mean but it, you know i look at like like neon wood in berlin which is like fully furnished apartment community shared community you know like with a common party room and like furnished apartments and they have tan house for a digital same company for digital nomads and freelancers fully furnished apartments uh, all these kind of community Just sort like of structures copies. right but i mean you could imagine it also being uh you know even an individual apartment building kind of being a micro community in some way it could be even based around metal I mean, right haven't and you then, read a uh, high rise by J.G. Ballet. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, right. well, there's also S Snow Crash, I think, had a big patchwork. Uh, Diamond, Di Diamond, Diamond Age is like, I think, like, Diamond yeah. is like more. Well, Kowloon Walled City okay, was yeah. an anarchic one, yeah, but I mean, I just think, right, like, if it, I mean, imagine if, right, an apartment building was like basically an intentional community and it was based maybe around the uh, crypto governance and you actually could have external investors investing in these communities being like, uh, you know, like Gore Grind is really hot right now. Somebody's <laughs> opening up a Gore Grind intentional community, a 20 apartment Gore Grind intentional community in uh, Mitte. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, I think I want to invest in this. And then, uh, you know, the and then maybe the the, the token of being able to live there gains money in the long term and you could imagine some sort of you know even an entire economy for external investors it's a weird kind of ubi you can imagine a ubi that actually that like, too, is calibrated right? to how valuable your community is which incentivize i mean who knows where that will go but yeah i mean isn't your isn't your national currency tied to how valuable you're i don't see how it's that yeah, different. right but True. i mean but this is just the scaled micro, down yeah. Like, yeah. sure sure do yeah. you know people who live in these spaces do you know younger people who would are into that like would you live in a community like that no i yeah I've, I've met some people who like spend a good good amount of time in rome which like like r-o-a-m <laughs> <laughs> rome is a distributed um kind of co-living startup i guess i mean I, I guess it like aims for like explosive growth but i think at the point that like, this moment they have like a house in san francisco i think in madrid one in bali and maybe like one in, one in london uh they have like a fixed like fixed price and um yeah blazingly fat like internet and like yoga whatever like yoga class and you know it's just, it's just like geared for like towards like like digitally like nomadic millennials I think what's super interesting about Rome too is that weirdly enough, I'm old friends with one of the, the co-founders there, this woman, Kim Mike Cutler, um, and she's an expert on public housing in San Francisco, huh. which is a really interesting kind of bind there where, you know, when I was thinking earlier, there is kind of this like inexorable libertarian kind of tendency of people being like, why do people feel the need to self-organize and take care of this stuff? Um, and it's really interesting with Rome because I actually haven't followed it that well. Like I remember when when it was a, a thing and they were they were starting it, um, and it seems to have come up because obviously with We Live and so on and so forth, and this kind of like dystopian vision of the future of the city. But it's kind of interesting also to like look at her as a figure in the sense of like she kind of made her name writing these huge, insanely well researched uh, stories about the housing crisis in San Francisco. Mm. Um, yeah, and has obviously come to the conclusion that it would be faster and kind of more <laughs> more possible to uh, to work outside of that state infrastructure, um, for better or worse. I, I wish I knew more about it. Um, but yeah, but there's kind of that other other scenario of like clearly the a penny has dropped that for a large groups of people they feel more secure in self organizing around these kind of like quite scary militia models <laughs> <laughs> than putting some trust in the state, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm also skeptical of it, but we also live in Germany where, for example, like cooperative laws are really really cool and like quite advanced compared to the rest of the world and so on. Yeah. I mean, one positive aspect though of these kinds of communities I do see though is. Like, I think, like, I, I always just call them, like, human internets, but I think they're, like, I think a lot of important, especially since the internet itself is just so noisy right now, like, you know, like, a human internet, for instance, like, you know, like, hip-hop came out of, like, the projects in the Bronx in New York, and if you think about it, like, you look at these, they're, like, human processors, like, they're these grids full of people who can all, like, very efficiently spread ideas and uh, copy and build upon ideas and little, you know, cultural memes that have been started by some DJ who decided to just juggle a disco loop back and forth for, for 10 minutes. I mean, like, human internets are, like, really powerful processors, and I could imagine these communities just being like very 
I mean, especially if they did have a fair form of, of, of kind of effective form of governance, which I think crypto could offer, you know, they could be extremely productive spaces and, and spaces that could generate maybe income through communal projects or some sort of interesting innovation that can't be done dis- as well distributed online, I think. I, I just think that maybe there's like using this term, these things really exist and we're thinking of them in like the sort of like speculative future thing as if like the communities will turn into like weird little Amish like subdivisions <laughs> i feel like they're somehow like really keep coming onto this like co-work co-living thing that's not what community has to mean at all i feel like that's a very 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 literal way of thinking of it and of course like being online in, a sh- in like shared community that's i mean that's how music scenes exist for sure at this point etc i don't think co-location is very useful for some things for sure and in general you have more meaningful conversations with people in person but I mean, that doesn't mean you need to live with them or like pool resources that way. And it doesn't mean that every subculture needs to have their own token. Or and also, if they're going to be invested from the outside, does that mean they have a corporate structure? And is that really the future? Is like every every I mean, group of people on every level has some sort of corporate structure? Isn't that where the future cor- looks like it's going though? Well, it's, just, it's also the past. I mean, it's also a Bauhaus model. It's also like a Soviet 1920s model, like of living to co co living and everybody having the thing that they add to the community and then being a kind of CPU for that. I want to just emphasize one thing though and why I'm kind of like harping on this one point is that I see real estate being the single biggest source of precarity for like young freelance and young people today. You know, it's it literally seems like like that is the the biggest source of precarity like the hardest thing to manage in your life to afford to deal with and like there and uh, especially in the united states there's going to be no government regulation that's going to help like it's going to continue to go out of control and like there's going to need to be some way to address this and i feel like a communal structure might be good again like there are in certain cities and stuff you're thinking where to totalizing it maybe there won't be federal laws about it any in the next two years but there's plenty of cities that have rent control laws and other things. I mean, they're not as effective there, but they're definitely... Yeah, but it's I mean, not like it's but, but even in a place like in Germany, which has like like very strong like tenants tenant rights, I was just like looking at the numbers in, of uh, like Leipzig. I just like read like last year of like all the, like the, the apartments that were, of newly built like housing that was bought, like 85 or was it even like 90? I think like 85 or 90% was bought by individuals or like entities that were like not placed in leipzig but i mean it's i don't i mean i i don't think i could live uh, like a comfortable life especially for my age or like start a family in new york right now even being like a uh, music video director who's like fairly accomplished like i couldn't afford it right which is like seems crazy to other people i say that too i mean i think it's almost the same in la it's the same in a lot of 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 cities i don't think it's a non-problem like i'm not saying it's not a problem at all no it definitely is a problem it's a huge problem and it's definitely a bigger problem in america i'm just saying like uh there there's there are local there's local governments that have i mean like america is already the closest thing to a patchwork there are a lot of there's a lot of autonomy within state law and local law and so i mean I don't know. I just think like you have to keep that in mind. I think local communities are really going to end up being more and more significant in our future and more and more uh, important as the especially just the digital networks get noisier and noisier. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And it's funny because, yeah, like the, the least sexy thing to talk about here is like co-ops, right? And like co-ops are like these things that have existed for a long per- period of time. They're super uh, resilient, right? Like co-ops tend to stick around for a really long period of time. And it's weird because I'll go and speak to people in music. And a lot of the time, because, you know, some of the reasons I've been invited in there may be because I know a bit more about crypto stuff than the average person. Um my message there isn't, oh, these are mechanisms by which you will become prosperous and all of a sudden, you know, make a ton of money and, and gain dominion over the field of culture. The, it's the exact opposite of being like, this is going to get way worse. Yeah. And yeah. you might want to consider while you still have some purchase <laughs> on the conversation, collectivizing around a few spots so as to right. secure your position yeah. for generations to come if that's something you're interested in doing, right? So there's this kind of like one speculative crypto asset kind of conversation, which, you know, is super interesting, but like, that's not what I'm shilling. Right. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, there yeah. are all of a sudden maybe <laughs> new mechanisms for us to co-own some stuff. And that might be a good idea because if we don't do it in the next 10 years, we're just not going to do it. 
One one real life example. I mean, Carly and I just shot a music video at Seabase in Berlin, which is one of the oldest hacker spaces. They own their building, yeah. like literally the building in like insane well, riverfront real estate. They own their space within the building. Yes. What did no, I say yeah, about resilient subcultures? They always own the building. Trust that's me. True. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And hacker yeah, spaces yeah. have been ahead of everybody on this, but yeah. it's a fucking rule. Yeah. It's a right. rule, yeah. and people don't know that rule. It's like it's fucking simple. Yeah. Own the space and no, and you have a voice. That's, yeah. It's period. Like, well, they own the building, mm. Carly. They do? Yes, okay. they own the building. Okay. They're like, oh, we have tenants. Yeah. And it's like, it's literally on the spree next to Vice Berlin's office. Yes. <laughs> Except they have a whole building and Vice like rents a floor. Like, it's crazy. Like, and, and I think Seabase is a really, and somehow their polit- politics have held together. Like, you know, they have go- their own little governance system and some simple rules. And I mean, it seemed to be like an incredibly effective model and they also you know just because i mean this is the other idea of how these spaces can kind of the creativity of a this localized network can kind of uh work in its benefit is is seabase has something like four thousand monthly paying members Uh of which maybe a hundred people regularly go max but just because uh that people like the and and the investment it's only like 20 euros a month or something but like all these people just because they enjoy seeing what the community is doing and want to support it like it's almost like a patreon for (laughs) your like housing in your life what's true and it's true in music i mean ask yourself this like the amount of deutschmarks or euros spent on vinyl in the city of berlin (laughs) if that amount of capital had been invested in real estate would the dance music community own all of Kreuzberg? (laughs) (laughs) it's an interesting thought experiment you're just like it's just funny because it's like the classic story there is you know you go into these rooms with with all this kind of like material that once had value and is severely devaluing and people will be like yeah this is my record collection this is my retirement and I'm like nope nope your retirement would have been owning that building that you're in which you actually maybe had a chance to do right so there's also a sense of responsibility there of cutting the shit and being like if you're a cultural actor like communicating what real value is to people and not chilling things that have no value which is like you know pieces of plastic that you know absolutely play music unnecessarily is, is vinyl a resilient material for uh, building structures <laughs> <laughs> you can make cool bowls I've seen a lot of like vases and fruit bowls you're looking for a scholarship yeah. to RISD yeah, exactly I mean my impression is uh, like the people who were around in the late 90s early 2000s uh, in Berlin in de- like in techno they actually do own a lot of yeah. no, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah particularly the ones who are like the uh, the uh, what's the word the inheritors of, of barren pay- like barren money or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fun yeah money. we know who we're talking about something I want to ask Michelle about though is I, I mean when I lived in New York it, it was you know actually like really exciting time there was all these kind of like pseudo legal or flat out illegal spaces having parties and it just seemed like the gothic exopussy right and, and also I mean 285 Kent and yeah I mean Glasslands I think was was illegal and then became legal but and also all these I mean even there were like candy raves in Queens that were in fucking sane I saw 12 year olds doing whippets like it was skit three in the morning it was scary anyways candy raves like from the 90s existed in Queens until like 2015 probably um but you know I think that's kind of been shut down in New York recently and you also moved to LA I think a lot of people are fleeing New York in general because real estate's out of control and like basically kids are living in east East New York, but I'm wondering if it LA has like a, like actually you know any sort of communities popping up or community spaces or underground warehouse parties or what's going on in that city since it does have more space and more buildings. I mean, I think it's completely cyclical. I think what happened in New York around 2016 is that, as you said, like a lot of these DIY spaces just got raised and all of them got shut down. It was completely dead, and then all the parties moved into established spaces like. Clubs clubs and um actually it's really interesting i think the best club in new york is this place called nowadays which is owned by the mr sunday guys um but yeah everything became really establishment which is like you know good and bad la i think is really interesting as you said there are so many incredible warehouses and loft spaces um but it's also a lot more decentralized i think as a city right um and i think that there hasn't yeah like there hasn't really been much of a it's still very nascent to me it's still very like exciting because it's on the come up but i don't think people are 
thinking about this stuff as much as like i mean i remember freak city in a weird way seemed to me be like some fashion like community space like i mean they i think they i don't know if they rented that building or owned it but there was like lots of they kind of had the, their own very specific subculture and parties and scenes going on there i don't know if it still exists or not but i mean uh, I, I, yeah I, I, I was just kind of asking about like any real organization it seemed like around a building around a space something akin to a hacker space or a regular party space that's maybe community owned because it seems like it's the right place for that and if anyone knows if it's going on in Detroit because I think that's the ultimate uh, city like urban experiment right now in the United States but Places I haven't are, been yet it's it's like it's already over I mean as far as <laughs> as far as the buying opportunity it's like actually damn it's even when I was looking like last I was looking in the winter to try to get some places and yeah it wasn't I wasn't feel I felt like I was getting ripped I was like nah, it wasn't like uh the five thousand. What happened to the Trezor? Was this was, oh, it, yeah. was the Trezor guy's name who wanted to like start the Berghain? Berghain and the Packard Detroit. plant, or was it in the, some other plant? Yeah, no, I don't think that's happening. I'm not sure, but I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. The real estate market is it's crazy. There's there's multiple places that are over a million dollars, which is the first time ever. Um, in Detroit. In Detroit. Mm. Russia. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine. Ukraine is yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that the uh, like. Yeah, the, the owners of Bergheim and Trezor should just buy that failed airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they already used the other old airport yeah. for like Lollapalooza. I, I so. don't know if this is true or not, but I saw something that was that apparently they're storing all of the the VW diesel cars that had the recall in the parking lot at the airport. That <laughs> is oh wow, which is oh, some poetic <laughs> German failure. Yeah, justice. I, sna I snapped this kind of amazing photo. Like it was like last year, where like. The whole of the Urberlin Urberlin fleet, like after it went bankrupt, was like parked in front of the the, clo the closed <laughs> airport. So like it was just like like all of like you know this like aviate like Berlin aviation fails and just this like one like one perfect shot. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting about New York right now is that um, you know after they repealed the cabaret law, uh, there's a sense that like the government is recognizing and supporting nightlife as a sort of industry, mm. which reminds me of the '90s, right? when like New York was like sort of a clubbing capital and had all of these established legal venues um, with like you know the city the city support and then that obviously turned so yeah I do think that New York is returning to a really interesting golden era of nightlife and it'd be interesting now yes oh <laughs> how does that fit the narrative that you were just saying I thought it, uh because understand. now there are a lot of established clubs. It's all happening within okay. legal spaces. Um, and that's kind of like what happened in the 90s. It's no longer about like these, you know, weird under under the radar, like lofts and warehouses. Sure. I mean, I guess that's it's always like Berlin. I feel like I don't remember if I've ever gone to any like house party ever here. It's like you don't, there isn't really the need for this kind of thing for sure. Cause you can just. When I hear about a house party in Berlin, Berlin, I get really excited. <laughs> no, okay. I have been to a few, but it's really rare. It's not a thing. Yeah. Well, also those neighbors are like, you yeah. can't be loud after 10 PM. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's better on a Friday night than a Saturday, I think. Yeah. The Sundays are sacred here. I Heard. Yeah, You're not, right. Isn't it illegal to mow the lawn on a Sunday in Germany? I think <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a real Sabbath. But I think that there's like something to be said about kind of anyway the the kind of temporality of like in which like like just like the timelines in which like club culture kind of exists. So it's kind of cycles of evolution happen, and then like questions related to like the ownership of space, uh, you know, like, like the payback times so of mortgages and like and and so forth. So if you think of like club culture. You know, like all the kind of like legendary spaces, like the warehouse in Chicago, which gave the name to house. That was like literally like a warehouse. Or the Paradise Garage was like a garage. Or the loft in New York, that was like a loft. And mm. you know, there's like multiple of these examples. They were all, you know, these kind of um, empty ruins of like, you know, like late industrial like 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 cities that before like, you know this kind of pre-gentrified neighborhoods and like because that club culture isn't like to a large degree generational like often you just like don't have like you know just like you just like don't have enough time to like establish like establish you know the kind of like like most of organization that might be like necessary for to like like gain over, like ownership over like space and then and like and, and i guess like there is kind of like an aesthetic disposition that's that's come out of this like there is this kind of like, like fetishization uh with like the the found object like the the, the found space and uh kind of like in certain like like raw, like rawness and like the kind of fleeting like the fleeting nature of these like spaces that we 
uh, that, that, that we inhabit. You know, I, I think local spaces and local communities are what really kind of develop the most exciting and enduring subcultures. And also, of course, you look at Baltimore Club and Philly Club and Jersey Club and all of these like really local, even named after where they started kind of subcultures. But you don't see that as much. And I kind of feel like with more emphasis on space or community on space, you could see this again. So I think it's only like now with uh, kind of like, I guess like both like techno and house kind of like becoming these uh, more like enduring like enduring kind of cultural forms like you know if you think of like the British club tradition like and like the so-called hardcore con like continuum it is like it's kind of like it's one of like it's like driving forces like speed and like hype and the kind of constant like mutation like like it's always about like youth and like you know, it produces like super young and like everything changes very fast whereas like, with, like now with like house and Techno, you know, if you look at, I don't know, clubs like Bergheim, I've, I don't know, this is just anecdotal, but I, like my guess is like the like the average age of like DJs is now like for like over 40. And like there, there is, a, and it's kind of like turned more from like an art form into like a craft, you know, like where you like achieve this kind of like masterhood, like like masterhood, like when you're like in your like, you know, when you're like middle age and like in, in your like, like 50s or even like 60s. So in like, in a way, I feel like it's only like now that like club, you know, there's like a, form of club culture or like, or like electronic dance music culture that kind of exists in this like long like it's, it's kind of temporality somehow like ma like matches these like 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 questions related to um real estate yeah and i mean to add to that somewhat it's, it's also like i think kind of interesting to think about this like why subcultures why is that the optimal destination Right. Because I mean, I think about this a lot like in music, there's this politic of independence and same just trying to be like an asshole, basically, but being invited to these things. My point was being like, well, if you think about it, actually, like independent music, the logic of independent music won. Actually, most of the economy is oriented around the logic of independent music. It was just a few romantics that were duped into the idea that this was somehow a collectivist mission are the ones that were really disappointed about it, right? Like your Etsy store, your Instagram account, your ability to publish on Bandcamp, like your Uber position of the precarious worker everybody is independent this idea of the independent individual that goes and markets their wares and sells themselves and sells their specialness on social media that's just the way the economy works right and a lot a lot of that comes from this subcultural heritage right so in a weird way like it, counterintuitively you know to see there being some kind of radical new vision of a youth culture or an emerging culture would not necessarily be playing into that same logic it's kind of a weird tyrannical burden that has been inherited to be like well how, how do i distinguish myself as, as super special um and and you know and 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 dynamic in all of the ways that the economy basically has just become anyway right and so and you see these tensions in music too where you know i talk to like for example a lot of like festivals or labels who develop their, their reputation through having a great history of you know looking at local subcultures that were bubbling up and then giving them a platform and representing them and I'm like well what do you do now that Smirnoff has no problem having a queer forward blah 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 like what do you do now because because kind of like on what from one particular perspective you have done your job you have you know represented this to the extent whereby it is the way that people sell shoes now uh, so what what is your function in the world, right? And like, and my argument for that is to be like, well, honestly, the only place you can go is to not look at like the independence narrative, but instead look at the, I'm looking for a better term, but like a codependent or a cooperative narrative where you're like the one thing that Nike can't beat you at is giving ownership to everybody, you know? And so that to me feels like an actual radical move in just in opposition to the status quo because the status quo is a subcultural logic right like your parents are cooler than you you know what i mean like you know what i'm saying and like playing into that playing into that idea of like defining yourself by like the record you're listening to and the thing that you put on your head like feels in some way like a like a quite conservative uh, capitalist logic. yeah i mean it is, it's yeah. just the way everything works right. like that one right and either you're happy with that so in which case you you accept the logical consequences of that which is you will have more monopolistic spheres you will have you know money and culture and ideas trickling up to the kanye west of the world who are like the paragons of that mentality of being like i am literally the independent brilliant person every idea belongs to me right um so you're either cool with that or you try and look at new models right uh, yeah but but, but uh, inherent to those new models is maybe just kind of like like liberating ourselves and jettisoning this idea of kind of like street level subculture because i mean 
I mean, that, that it, it's an old thing because like, it's kind of like the, the conversation about contemporary art. Like, at what point do you just cut this off and say, this was a moment in time? Yes, technically, if you have an idea against the status quo, you are kind of making a subculture. But can we just drop that? Just drop that idea, right? Because it's, it's a boring idea at this point, right? But it holds the, it, it holds so much potential. And to go back all the way back to the crypto ray thing, you notice that it's like, you know, I, I'll you know occasionally go and speak, which is a terrible idea at like crypto conferences or whatever. And I'm like, and here's all this cool shit. You could be like, don't support bad music, support good music and then i bring up crypto rave and they're like whoa cool and it's just they don't know anything about it but they hear that term and they're like yeah graves are cool you know because subculture is cool and you're like well actually you know how much of this do we need to jettison to actually formulate a new proposition and how much is it deleterious to us to like keep keep pushing on like an objective that maybe isn't actually that great like you know like like I don't know. I mean, that, that's I'm trying to play devil's advocate with myself, quite honestly, because I've dedicated my life to the opposite logic of this. But more recently, I'm like, wait, am I just a sucker? Like, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, I and hopefully, into. people will actually manage to get paid because I think yeah. indie artists, especially, are facing two huge sort of threats in the future, which is you know algorithmic oppression, basically. <laughs> And, and the rise of the streaming economy. Um, those two things, I think, are really going to fuck a lot of people over. Um, especially, I think, uh, the algorithm thing for, you know, women and people of color and, like, non-binary people. Because I was reading an article today, actually, by Liz Pelly um, about how Spotify's, like, algorithmic playlist, like, regenerates very male, white-dominated artists, like, over and over in this echo chamber. So, yeah, like... Mm. Just to add to that, and also being a big fan of Liz Pelly, I mean, but that is, again, a logical extension of the libertarian-ish independence narrative, right? So if you, if you adhere to a, a libertarian-ish kind of free market narrative, unfortunately because of the legacy and the history of this stuff and this is kind of the tyranny also of these kind of algorithmic kind of populist platforms is in a way they do present you with stats that are, that suck because mm-hmm. they're like yeah by the way if if all of culture was a populist exercise the people who would win are not likely people you care about or not likely people you'd want to support you know what i'm saying so this again like to go back to right right to the beginning where we're talking about protecting spaces and like fortifying different communities and thinking about not about subculture but about culture which is under threat right um like you, yeah, you need you need to think out because 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 the, the the ultimate kind of like subculture narrative is being like yeah everyone is for themselves you're each out shilling your wares and ultimately you will have like a tragedy of the commons at the end of that we've seen how that turns out right I mean I had dinner with Mike Q last night I think the ballroom and Vogue community is a really good example of like really building a local kind of scene and structure like with, with you know a, a particular event and the particular form of music and a particular culture that's local and that generates its own income and supports the community. And I think, you know, I mean, as a, especially being, if you're an independent artist that really is just working in a totally distributed digital space trying to sell your music or art, like, I don't think it's going to work that well in the streaming economy. I don't think it's going to support you in any sort of meaningful way. And I think it almost is like, I mean, like lo-fi beat, uh, lo-fi beats to do homework to, like doesn't have any local event to support its existence. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, really maybe the, the answer could be to look away from digital platforms for your economy. On the other hand, I, um, yeah, I was just hanging out with uh, Chris Glazik, who now works at a hedge fund, and they are very excited about streaming. And uh, they're saying, like, you know, it's at the only at the inflection point of some massive thing where there will be, you know, like three billion subscribers to these kinds of platforms. Yeah, and three billion artists too. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that it's good for the artists. <laughs> I'm like just saying that uh, uh, it's steaming ahead. Is all I'm saying. And there is there will be lots of there is lots of money to be made. Uh, but it's of course, yeah, you need to have ownership or some type of thing. And of course, hedge funds are. Where is that? Well, and that's the sad thing. I mean, like, I was in, like, a, a think tank the other day at the Humboldt Institute here with, like, Google and a bunch of, like, IP lawyers and stuff like this talking specifically about streaming. And, like, the the really sad thing about that is, yeah, like, streaming might well work out, but then I re-inject the argument of culture, right? Because, like, it is not my belief that, like, I mean, it, it's weird. It used to be the conservative position to give out vouchers for culture. This was kind of a platform in the UK being like, let the public decide. Fuck you, Damien Hurst. You know, like we, the public will, will find, and 
now, weirdly enough, it feels to be like the conservative position to do like the exact opposite. Like I feel conservative in that room being like, no, I kind of like there being experts taking care of culture. Like I really like that idea. That's how culture works. Right. Um, so yeah, so to speak to that point, it's like streaming might well turn into like an incredibly profitable industry, but nothing you care about will see any of that money. I can guarantee you that, yeah. right? Alec There's, Monopoly. So, so yeah. Michelle's like gatekeepers. It's like a question of who are the gatekeepers. 100%. And then there's, like, to speak to Julian's point, you know, I mean, I love this idea of, like, a bulwark, you know, of, like, literally, I mean, the bulwark just kind of works generally, but that's the proposition I'd like to, I mean, the thing I'm working on at the moment is just, like, that's the proposition I'd like to put forward is being, like, rather than trading in, like, immaterial files that, honestly, most people don't pay for anybody anyway, uh, could you not invest money in the maintenance of a, of a structure um, and then in return for that uh, get you know material sent to you and have privileges of access to that structure right because I can see like a, a tenable future for a ballroom which is quite a, a micro marginal thing being like a literal space I mean that's one that would be absolutely dependent on the physical space right because it's a physical medium right and be like I could absolutely see myself putting 10 bucks a month into something that I might only visit once a year or once every couple of years but what's nice about that is it invites the the participant in culture to say, well, no, I support this, and you know, and and it also fundamentally acknowledges that the way to support a culture is to invest in something resilient and not just simply see like this kind of atomized exchange of individual artists as being resilient to the culture. We've seen that pan out, and it doesn't work. New Models is a totally DIY and self-produced project, but we are open to sponsorship and advertising opportunities. We also have a store at newmodels.io. We're just getting started, but we have some t-shirts and some exciting collaborations with artists coming up. Visit newmodels.io or email us at desk at newmodels.io for more. So we're coming back from a, a break, and uh, on our break, we uh, just went to general subculture conversation. But I think it's actually really interesting and, and valuable to this podcast, since especially we have a lot of subculturally active people here right now. I'll let Matt pick up on the idea he was talking about. Yeah, all I was saying is, you know, earlier, you know, I was talking about subcultures and basically like a lot of kind of Western subcultures being asked this question, like, what do you represent that isn't represented represented by the center, you know, when things that like traditionally marginalized cultures or, or, or organizations or institutions or festivals or labels used to really have to fight to represent have been kind of accepted and subsumed into a, into a larger kind of narrative. You've seen like a trend of people having to look further and further um, uh, outside of a Western context in order to kind of like find, find a more vivid example of the kind of the, the traditional subcultural narrative that we're familiar with, which is this idea, you know, of like a group of marginalized people finding a space, like, right, because there's spaces available in places where like advanced Western capitalism hasn't quite hit. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting to me to see organizations who now like place more and more of an emphasis. And of course, one of the benefits of this is like, it makes for a more international conversation. Um, but, on the other hand, one of the things it reminds you of is that, in a sense, you're seeing a lot of other cultures kind of going through a similar moment that may have happened in, like, the 70s or 80s in New York that we've kind of seen pan out, right, um, happening elsewhere. And so in order to continue that, that prophecy and that kind of, like, that mythology, uh, companies and institutions are going really far apart to, to, to pretend as if this is, that this is happening everywhere, right? Yeah, I think this. There's also this like an upward like uh, movement like like it's interesting to look how like the mainstream or like for I don't know like for example the luxury industries are like an appropriating that kind of like the this kind of subcultural like logic like maybe like Balenciaga, Gosha, like and so and so forth. Like if if you gotta ask, you'll like never know, which is somehow like was like the ethos of like subcultural capital. So somehow like through your like participation, like through. Uh, so like some level of like, commitment to like a scene you kind of build up this like knowledge and then through this like knowledge you were like able to like recognize what kind of like made sense or like what kind of like belong to that like, subculture like what like what like what didn't um and like we're so so somehow like the so the value isn't anymore like in like how like things are like made or like maybe like the material but it's like it's, it's like in this like uh like anywhere like art, like artificial scarcity of like information yeah. or this like in, like inaccessibility of like information like the, the kind of like the the fact that they're like hard to read or like you need to like you know need to have this like some like level of knowledge to be able to, to be able to like get them 
Yeah, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because there's, there's people in the room who know more about this, um, but isn't it like a fundamental part of the business model of a lot of like streetwear couture brands to, speaking of the mythology of subcultures, sell an idea of a city like New York or Berlin to largely Asian streetwear collectors, right? Like wealthy Asian kids, like Hood by Air, for example. I remember speaking to someone somewhere in the vicinity of that being like, yeah, the model is like, we stick something on Kanye and then we just get like these orders coming from across the world or like Vetement or whatever. It's just, it's understood as being like mythologizing across Kinda, large distances yeah. is a really fundamental part of the model, yeah. which is funny to think then that this kind of specter of the mythology of subculture exists more outside of a Western context than it does actually in the West. Because of course those are all purely fabricated scenarios, right? Sure. <clears throat> and I think, well, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there is like an interest like on a geographical distribution in that, so in, in the sense of this like R&D, like, the, the quote-unquote like R&D like st street level R&D uh, mostly happens in like centers like western centers and then like but the consumption happens large, largely like outside of them like specifically in, in, in East Asia and like of course there is this like the like level of like translation where like where information is lost and it, like, it is kind of like a loss, like lossy like lossy process I mean I was thinking though too don't what they ultimately do though is just turn these things into like turn these subcultures kind of into like totems or familiars where you just hey i mean you buy this very expensive product to just like tap and kind of uh condense the the feeling or the message of that into a, a single kind of uh signifier or product it's almost like a subcultural totem right i, I do think it's interesting though like when we think about you know say balenciaga that what you were saying, Marty, about this like loss of information or having to have this density of information because they're like the way they're treating Instagram, for instance, they're using it with by having these pictures which are getting like tons of hate comments, right? Because they're hard to read unless you are like sort of closer to the production of this marketing or the people that are involved in it. And it's like when we were in Russia noticing how luxury functions. It's a very, very, luxury is very, very legible. This is something that's a luxury item. And so the only thing that's left in the space of luxury is this access to information or, or being able to read complex codes or codes that are evasive. Or it's a weird kind of subculture that's being created within the luxury bracket that's only intelligible to those who have a certain like cultural elite status to have have a proximity to I mean I'm totally overthinking this but there's something else that's going on here in the production of subculture on the luxury level has anyone here read Sarah Thornton's book subcultures I have I should no it's it I mean it's super interesting in this context it's also like brutal to dance music it was written in the 90s and it's kind of interesting it's interesting for her as like she was very much an outsider writing about dance music culture and it's funny what you said just reminded me of this of her basically her basic thesis as far as I can paraphrase or remember is that all of this is just like an incredibly sophisticated signaling mechanism and so the idea of like subcultures being R&D for capital um, was like relatively reinforced by that and I feel like it's fairly intuitive for anyone in this room of being like look like it's our job on the low level to find stuff which gives us cultural capital that to exchange with the fashion industry or people who can capitalize on these things and then sell that to someone outside so that they can purchase the signaling mechanism which is basically all the fashion right um, but, but, but yeah and in, in a visual economy me, which is the Instagram economy or whatever like you see this in music where it's like look music has little to no value anymore like those signaling things become more and more premium um, and of course the ability to access things right like s sneaker culture or whatever I mean, is baffling to me but the idea of people like queuing up you see people queuing up around the corner because they got the the airdrop you know GPS pin to find out how to get these new pairs of Nikes or whatever it might be it's like all these mechanisms that like to bring it right back to the beginning of the conversation where you're talking about crypto raves right this idea of like receiving a text to be like turn up in the forest and you'll have a good time <laughs> is like literally the, like the, the mechanism by which streetwear culture uh, exists at this point in time right so, so yeah again a, 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 a provocation to suggest that subcultures maybe have exhausted like maybe we know what they are you know we yeah. know that like inexorable like direction that they're going in uh, so it's kind of nice to think about other things one thing that I thought of Matt when you were speaking about you know subcultures reaching a point where they the, this is no longer a functional model um, the you know the system that you said in terms of subcultures selling out to companies that sell that the code mining to another demographic um, 
we, we have this problem on the left, right, with winning. We have this problem on the left with always needing to be the underground, uh, the underdog. We derive power, um, a feeling of community um, through marginalization. And so there's a problem, there's like an asymptote we hit where we become the mainstream and then we lose our power. We, so we have this paradox where we need to stay marginal, we need to stay non-popular. And the one cool thing that I think, you know, crypto or, the, you know, offers the left or like liberal ideals or whatever is maybe making it permissible to become to win without without necessarily becoming just the mainstream so to win in and, and I, I'm speaking in a way that I don't exactly know what the picture of this would look like but somehow it seems like whether it's our chain or whether it's you know resonate or whether it's any you know number of, of new ventures it seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong because you guys know more about this than I do, but blockchain offers the ability for people to stay in a smaller community and yet still be legitimated and functional, not just be so marginal that they are basically living in an exit zone. They're interoperable. They're intero exactly. They're intero so that's a kind of decentralization, right? So it's like your, your communities are centralized, but then each, it is, I guess, a kind of, it's a way of creating a real patchwork that is interoperable. And so maybe that's like... That's another thing. I mean, I, I agree. And one thing that came to mind, I mean, it's kind of weird because I am... I'm like a, a tortured lefty that is also very frustrated by this scenario. Like I, I, and just generally also frustrated by the kind of, I think there's a guy, Pete Wolfendale, who uses this term, the critical reflex, where it's just like, you are trained basically when you see something that has momentum to immediately think what's wrong with it. Right, 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 um, right. And not necessarily to look for opportunities in that. And within the crypto conversation, it's like as an ascendant subculture of our time, right? I mean, it's like a really fascinating, weird thing that just happened. Like not to mention, it's like, it's always been fascinating to me to be like, like when you look at crypto culture in a strange way there has been a form of class consciousness seeded through crypto culture like like the role of the McDonald's worker for example in the Wojak memes where you're like American like American culture tells you like everyone has value like pull yourself up by your bootstraps be a McDonald's worker and like in crypto culture no it's like you are at the bottom of the totem pole like you either like make this speculative bet or you're back to McDonald's and there's this incredibly sophisticated language around that of like of being like subjects under like an abject capitalist yeah, superstructure yeah, really? you I mean, you're kind of like, uh, guys, like if you weren't so grossed out, there's another friend of mine, this guy, Brian, who actually uh, Martin knows really well his work with. It's, it's like, he has this idea of like aesthetic cooties, which he came up with <laughs> around Burning Man too, where he's kind of like, it's basically this idea. And I think it's a wonderful idea where like people who, particularly those liberal arts educated, like who are used to the signaling mechanisms in cultures that we have, where you don't want to be seen to be the person who's like associated with something uncool or that ends up being problematic in like a month or whatever. Um, you look at these ideas and you're constantly looking for the straw man, right? And you're not looking for like the certain ideas that are like, why did this gain momentum? Like, why is it that there are people out there who are like investing in random speculative, probably scammy token assets because they feel so desperate that their career paths or their local state government or whatever is going to fail them, right? Like, like there is an opportunity for the left in this, but uh, leftist lead, like people who are in leadership positions on the left would way rather be snide and kind of dismissive of this. And I've had this even like... There was a, an example with a leftist podcast recently who were like, yeah, we're thinking about having a, a cryptocurrency leftist discussion. And I saw this. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know, there's a few people, whatever, like I'd, I'd be happy to contribute. There's a few other people. And the first response back to me was being like, not that person because of this, not that person because of this. Not, and you're like, well, fuck you. Like, if, if, like if, yeah, if anything that has momentum is by, is by virtue of its momentum, as you eloquently put it, kind of disqualified from leftist discourse, then we're literally fucked. And I'm kind of bored of failing. Like, like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 I'm bored of that. Like, that's why I'm tortured with this. It's so, and it's so alluring, actually, when you see the, the freedom of people who are unburdened by responsibility, which is basically the libertarian position, right? It is actually an incredibly seductive thing when you, when you exist there. The problem is my principles don't allow me to go there, right? But, but they, they win. They right. win you because they don't feel... That's yeah. what we have otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I think that's, it's like, it's, it's, it's a constant frustration to me, that particularly on tech narratives too, like, um... These things are considered too hot to handle, and are considered yeah. They have people have a set of cooties about them, and as a result, we miss our moment, and we also miss a moment of literacy, basically, in understanding how how capital and and society is organizing five or ten years in advance. But it's true, the left is far better about moaning about it ex post facto than there is about like uh, amounting, and that's a real fucking shame. It's just a, it's I mean it's it's a real shame. Yeah, that's why we chose to be a, a web 1.0 podcast. <laughs>
That's it for episode five of the New Models Podcast. Huge thanks to all our guests, Michelle Look, Matt Dryhurst, Marty Caliella, and of course, I'm Lil Internet, joined by New Models co-founder Carly Busta and Dan Keller. The New Models theme song and all other music in this episode is composed by myself, Lil Internet. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to tell a friend. See you next time.